0: You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force.
1: That's right, Whistler. Welcome back to Star Wars Beyond the Films. This is our feedback episode covering the August month. Maybe a little bit of stuff before, maybe a little bit of stuff after. We've got a lot of feedback, so we decided to throw you another feedback episode. And that's right. In this episode, you listeners are the star. I am one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, and with me, like a case of Mongolian fleas... No, I'm kidding. I did that last time. Like a bad, bad Karelian hangover, the EU guru himself, Nathan P.
0: Butler! Wow, wow. He went so far on that one yet, he actually forgot to say his own name this time. This is Mark Hurloman, ladies and gentlemen, not me. That's him! <laughs> Uh, welcome everybody a feedback episode time. We've actually been building up quite a bit of feedback We haven't had time to actually record a feedback episode recently So we figured finally it's time to put all this stuff together and we have a, a rather interesting treat for Much of our audience out there. I'd say much because some people hate the character uh, But for much of our audience out there as our first piece of feedback this time around you might be familiar with a guy by the name of Andrew Gilbertson. He is a big guy when it comes to the Star Wars fan audio genre and audio dramas. Does voice acting like crazy, uh, audio mixing and such like crazy, uh, writes very good audio dramas. He is the guy who took, and I'm not saying it's good, just because I'm in it about a thousand different times. Uh, he's the guy who took the early Marvel stories, uh, particularly the stuff around the, uh, the characters on Aduba 3, like Jackson and turn them into an audio drama format. And between him and the the huge cast of characters uh, and voice actors playing those characters, and the great audio mixing as well, can't forget of Joe Harrison, who's also a big name in Star Wars fan audio, audio dramas. Um, between all of them, they came up with this fantastic series called Star Wars Marvels. It's actually over at StarWarsFanWorks.com, just go under audio dramas there. Unfortunately, it stopped after the first six stories. It's It was originally meant to be uh, four trilogies, I believe it was, and it, now it's sort of two trilogies. You don't miss the fact that the other parts aren't there, but there was going to be more, and unfortunately, there hasn't been. Uh, he, in those audio dramas, played the character of Jackson. Now, Mark, for those who are uninitiated, remind us who Jackson is again. Jackson is our great, lovable, green, rabbit-like
1: character that was in the Was it the Marvel line, wasn't it? It was the old Marvel strips. And the uh, very
0: first, very first Marvel story after. The movies. It was the first Star Wars EU comic in comic book form.
1: Yeah, and I think Jackson gets a hard time. I think mainly because he's just a giant rabbit. I mean, you know, there's no silly rabbit tricks or for kids here. But there was a little trickery going on. But I, I have to admit, okay, I just learned this last week. Maybe it was a month. I'm not exactly sure when the date was that Andrew Gilbertson was the voice of Jackson. I loved. The guy that played Jackson. Okay, I, I, we had our own little Rest out Softly audio drama that went up against them that year. And I couldn't vote for our own project because I love the way he did Jackson. I was just like, oh man, this guy deserves to win this. I mean, it he goes all out. So I'm actually really looking forward to
0: this. <laughs> right, and I think I said, I don't know if I said Jackson or Jax's Jackson. Jackson, J-A-X-X-O-N. Uh, he gets uh, yeah. definitely a bad rap because, you know, he almost is sort of like the Captain Bucky O'Hare type character pulled into Star Wars. Technically, he is a lippy, uh, is his species, but most people just call him, you know, the big green rabbit guy. Uh, and, you know, I was in Rest Thou Softly, and I, I was still, you know, kind of sitting there going, wow, I can't believe this stuff, you know. Uh, uh, Marvel's audio drama is a really, really solid production. Um, I think you'll like it if you get a chance to check it out, uh, especially the way that they've cast the character of Han Solo, for example. Uh, th- that's not me, by the way. Uh, just to make sure you didn't think I was tooting my own horn. I, my, my stuff's most a little background characters and such. Um, but in response to one of our previous episodes, Andrew sent in some feedback. Only he sent in audio feedback, and it's audio feedback in the character of Jackson. So whether you want to say this feedback from Andrew or feedback from Jackson himself, ladies and gentlemen, our first bit of feedback... Audio from Andrew Gilbertson, aka Jackson the Leppy.
2: All right, Docs, let's get one thing straight. I don't do drums. Do I look pink to you? Do I look little and short? No, I am a seven foot tall lepus carnivorous in a lovely shade of emerald green. That's a meat eating rocket riding rabbit to you, juniors and a uh, whistler. And uh, frankly, I, I, I do not appreciate your suggestions. And uh, while we on the topics of things I do not appreciate, I have to say that I'm extremely leery of this new, quote, Star Wars, end quote, comic book series that's potentially looking at overriding the adventures of yours truly in the continuity. I mean, doesn't being a part of the very first Star Wars Expanded Universe, right there in 1977, directly after the adaptations of the original film itself, Give a a work in Lepus Carnivorous in this galaxy a little more respect than just getting steamrolled over like the quality books and comics that were designed for the Clone Wars? Just because some punk kid writer has an idea for a new story? What happened to respect for your elders? What happened to knowing history so that you are not doomed to repeat it? It seems that in the modern EU, we're doomed to repeat it over and over and over and over again and add random to Gruden every time. I gotta tell you, Doc... I'm worried for my future, uh, or uh, my past. However, that works. Keep up the uh, the good show, the uh, the the guru, the defender, and the uh, the droid. It's uh, I, I like
0: it. You gotta love it. You absolutely gotta <laughs> love it. Yeah, Andrew S. Jackson. He's responding to, of course, our talk in our San Diego Comic Con episode about what to expect or what people are expecting and fearing about that ongoing Star Wars comic series. But one of the things that we mentioned was the idea of, you know, an Energizer bunny that keeps going and going, except in Star Wars it would have to be Jackson. And apparently, Jackson was not all that fond of that suggestion. I have to agree.
1: I'm right there with Jackson. I mean,
0: <laughs> what's some little kid, right? <laughs> oh,
1: gosh, that was great. Oh, I love it. And Whistler loves it too, but then again, he loves always being... Yes, I know, you're a ham. You're a microphone-stealing ham. Now go sit over there before I restrain you. (sighs) Anyway, as you were, Nathan.
0: He's shaped like a ham with legs. (laughs) All right, so I, I think the point is well taken. I mean, he's really kind of tying into some of the same things that we had said in that episode, that there's a lot of concern about what's going to happen. Hopefully, we'll hear more now that we've seen Brian Wood give some ideas of what's going on uh, apparently at Celebration 6. We're still waiting to hear any feedback on exactly what it was that he said. And, of course, we'll see the series in the near future. But certainly, yeah, the uh, uh, the EU in the uh, from the early days has had a tendency to get steamrolled quite a bit because, I mean, heck, remember, the Marvel comics weren't even considered part of continuity until after a long, long time they were finally worked back in. Initially, from an EU perspective, 91 to, I guess, what, mid-90s, late-90s, they weren't in at all. We were all shocked to see them show up in the pages of Gamer at one point. So they've, yeah. they've come a long way. They've, they've gotten the respect they're due to a degree, though I'm not sure Jackson has at this point still. I don't think that will possibly ever happen uh, because there are just too many people who kind of make him the butt of the joke. Uh Jackson's existence in the Marvel comics is often referred to as essentially being like Jar Jar, though I disagree. I think the Hiromi at the end of the Marvel run, way more like Jar Jar, way more annoying, perhaps even more annoying than Jar Jar. But that's just me.
1: And how does the Don Juan Kenobi guy or whatever he was, I mean, not come nobody hated him. That guy was such an Obi-Wan ripoff. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, it's one of those things, where just the fact that, that that comic strip started back in 1977, and, you know, like you mentioned, it wasn't originally considered to be part of it, and then it got brought in. I know when Lamaya got brought in recently, I was kind of shocked with that, too. It's, it's one of those things where you almost assume that the Marvel comics aren't going to be there at all, and yet here you find a reference to a story here or
0: there, and it kind of like, whoa, wait a minute. Huh, interesting quite so moving on we have feedback because there's quite a bit of feedback this time around we have feedback from Brian Klein Brian says hey guys first off I love the podcast great to see that there are people out there with as much love for the EU as I have I found myself running through a whole range of emotions while listening from deep introspective thought all the way to laughing out loud especially when Mark gets all excited about something and goes on a tear but my question I've always wondered why it took Obi-Wan three years after the Battle of Yavin to contact Luke to tell him to go to the Dagobah system and search out Yoda. I've done some research into this, but can't find anything. Maybe he was allowing Luke to learn on his own, or maybe he just couldn't appear through the Force that whole time for some reason? It's kind of obvious that Luke could have used some training, since it took him quite a bit of effort and concentration to call his lightsaber to his hand while hanging upside down in the Wampa's Cave. But I digress. Hopefully the Defender and the Guru can help answer this question for me. I also have a humorous thought regarding how Luke recognizes the Hayden Christensen spirit of Anakin on Endor when he never met the guy. From a certain point of view, but I'll leave that one up to my imagination. Keep up the great work, Brian Klein.
1: Interesting. I mean, you know, there's a whole lot of interesting questions in and of The Empire Strikes Back. I mean, how long did Luke train on Dagobah? How long did it take to get from Hoth to Bespin? so many different things like that that still to me haven't been quite answered. But when it comes to Obi-Wan and you're that's a very good point. 3 whole years. I mean, what was Obi-Wan thinking, oh, I got to leave Luke alone. He's got to kind of find his way with the rebellion before I ask him to come on vacation and learn all the Jedi tricks with Obi-Wan and, you know, the spirit of myself and Yoda, you know, and they're not going to believe any of this Yoda and Obi-Wan stuff. I don't know. I mean, it, it's one of those things where do we put thought into Obi-Wan's spirit as a thinking being still? I mean, I I would say yes, typically in the story sense. I mean, he didn't lose his who he was. But how far am I going to drive the spirit of Obi-Wan? Makes me kind of almost say we need an Obi-Wan spirit book, much like what we had with the uh, Life and Times of... Book of I, I can't remember what's off the top of my head. It's in a box somewhere around me. I can't yeah, find it. He,
0: he had I mean he had life and legend of Obi Wan Kenobi. He just didn't really yeah, necessarily that. get too much into uh, into that element. But no, I would say that that's another one of those great unanswered questions. I mean they've hinted at things, uh, but it seems like each time they hint at something, it's hinting in a different direction. So and I'm, I'm not sure there is a flat out answer to it. I may be wrong, but having looked into this before, it didn't seem like there was much in the way of a of a straight up answer to it. Though I will say that your point is right on the money, Brian, about him needing the training. Because uh, it, throughout the, the Marvel books, you see him getting a little better as he goes along, trying to learn on his own, trying to find people to learn from in many cases. And I think most recently we had a perfect example of this with Choices of One. What do I always mock about Choices of One? Luke is fumbling around with his lightsaber. He's so inept that he turns it on at one point and almost cuts Han into pieces because he needs to turn it on for some light. Excuse me, I'm in the dark and I have something that cuts through anything like it's not even there. Um, I think I'm going to turn it on right next to my buddy. Um, And then, of course, he gets it pickpocketed halfway through the book and has to fight to get it back. Uh, Luke, at least in some of the stories between the the episode four and episode five time frames, comes off as very inept. Fortunately, a lot of them at least try to give him a chance to develop it. And we should remember, there's at least one point where Obi-Wan is now said to have visited Luke to a degree, but not in the way that we tend to think of it. Uh, we've got the Obi-Wan speaking in his mind, of course, in A New Hope. We have him appearing as the ghost in Empire. A lot of people forget that the way that they have retconned Luke being able to defeat Vader in combat in Splinter of the Mind's oh, Eye, Yeah. it's the idea that the spirit of Obi-Wan was somehow either guiding him or... Almost possessing him to get yeah, that's him what I was going to say.
1: Possession—it was total possession in my mind.
0: Yeah, so there are elements of that, but there's that question of well, is it because Luke wasn't quite ready yet? Is it was was it because uh, uh Luke was busy doing other things? Uh, I would like to think that if there was a reason for it aside from just maybe Lucas hadn't decided. There's three years between the movies at the time he was writing, and maybe he thought it was a shorter time, and then later changed his mind and said there's three years. Um, but I kind of wonder if part of it is to play into that thing where, you know, Yoda's talking about him being too old, but they also talk about how he may not be ready. He's too impetuous still. That perhaps it was a matter of, yes, Luke's getting older, but Luke needs to get his mind right, so to speak. Luke needs to get himself straight before he can start undertaking anything new from a Jedi training perspective, because, you know, at just like traveling through hyperspace ain't like dust and crops, training as a Jedi <laughs> is not the same thing as training as essentially a rebellion fighter. Um, there's one that is a more active thing. there's one that at least requires some peace to yourself. and Luke didn't seem to really have much of that through a lot of those early stories. But again, that's you know us trying to give reason to something that hasn't really been given much of an official reason. It's all speculation.
1: Well, I have your official reason. okay. Here is the official reason as told by the defender of the EU. The reason is is the vision. George Lucas's vision was that in the year 2012, he was going to put out a Star Wars ongoing comic that was going to explain exactly this reason in a fresh and new and invigorating and open to everyone kind of way. So, you know, Star Wars, Dark Horse Comics, I'm looking at you answer this for us. You know, we're we're, we're always complaining about how there's no room for anything. Well, hey, here is a prime example of something you can do right by EU fans around the world. Give us something interesting. Give us Obi-Wan. I want a ghost Obi-Wan in this story. Let's do it. I want it. Yeah. Give me a reason why it took three years for that craggly old ghost to come back to Luke and say, oh, yeah, there's a living grandmaster, a grandmaster right over here in your own backyard somewhere, parsecs, quadrants, I don't know, away, but he's here. Just watch know. out because he's kind of short.
0: Uh, but no, I, now I will say as much as I, as I harp on choices of one and the ineptness of Luke, there, Zahn at least did try to give us a little bit more of the Obi-Wan thing. We don't get to see uh, what we tend to think of as the Obi-Wan force apparition and Luke having a conversation like an empire, but there are those moments of things like, you know, Leia's in danger, so Obi-Wan kind of nudges Luke in the right direction. So Zahn has at least tried to play into it. And of course, Zahn was also the one that slammed the door shut on any future ghostly appearances uh, of Obi-Wan, thanks to st- Heir to the Empire, that last time we see him speak to Lucas and say, you know, I can't do this anymore, uh, it's starting to become too difficult, or whatever. I'd love to see eventually how Lucas, if he ever does, explains why Obi-Wan's able to do this, what he learned from Qui-Gon, because that could shed a lot of light on how this worked, but at the same time you got to worry about is it going to undermine some of the other appearances of the character. You know, if he says, well, Obi-Wan was only able to retain his essence until right after Return of the Jedi because then their mission was over and all the Force ghosts of uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan and Yoda just kind of disappeared. That's an oh-crap moment for Zahn.
1: You know, it, it, that was one of the things that really drove me nuts. I, I kind of wish they hadn't have done that. In, in fact, I'm still to this day waiting for Yoda's Force Ghost. Like, mm-hmm. wait till you're an old man to die. <laughs> Look at you, 108 years
0: old. Not so young, are you?
1: <laughs> I don't know. I mean,. When that happened, I was like, no, no more Obi-Wan, no more insight, no more, you know, I mean, he was like the adventure of the week kind of thing. The opportunities that were around that character were endless. The Force Ghost version, it was like, you could have had him say anything. Oh, hey, Luke, I need you to go to this planet. There might be some Jedi there. But they shut that door so fast that, you know, you didn't even have a chance to ponder what could have been. And another thing, you know, you mentioned the uh, Hayden Christensen spirit. I, I'm actually. I kind of want to hear this from a certain point of view. I mean, my natural instinct is obviously Luke has uh, seen enough pictures of of Anakin Skywalker to know. But who knows? I mean, that's another one of those things. Well, you know, things are always a changing in the EU. You never know.
0: Yeah, my my thought was always that uh, you know you gotta wonder how much he would have seen of Anakin because he couldn't have seen him as a Jedi because that would have would blown a hole in the story being told by Owen and Baru, And it almost kind of felt like, to me, that I guess it's kind of a tangent, that when Obi-Wan is sitting there talking to Luke about, you know, he thought you'd follow old Obi-Wan on some damn full idealistic crusade like your father did. It makes me wonder if partly he's talking about what happened with Anakin. Remember, Anakin and Owen didn't really know each other very well. I mean, they met basically during Attack of the Clones, pretty much. It, uh it made me wonder how much of that was not so much that Owen was talking about Luke's father, but it was Owen essentially talking to Obi-Wan and Obi-Wan sort of as that surrogate father figure that part of it was, you know, not so much that Obi-Wan was speaking as as an impartial observer or even a partial observer so much as Obi-Wan was the one that was caught up in that. You know, he didn't want you to follow old Obi-Wan on a crusade like your father did. Well, okay, but it sounds like when he first says it, that he's talking about Anakin being told that which is why you know uh, they don't pass things along but it, it you know they, I don't know I've always got that sense that Obi-Wan takes more of a fatherly role in that conversation than he does anywhere else within the movies when it comes to Anakin that that part of his from a certain point of view is yeah you know some of that stuff I told you it's actually more like Obi- that Owen was trying to keep you from me more than it was following your father's destiny. He didn't really know much about your father, but he sure knew more about me because I've been around since then, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but anyway. oh, You know, uh, while we're on a tangent,
1: you know, that's part of the beauty of the show. You and I are the same age, so we've got a lot of the similar, you know, been there, done that's of Star Wars. But I remember before the prequel trilogy came out, reading insider magazines and stuff like that, and the editors and everybody that was writing articles, he would always slam dunk him all the time for being a liar. You know, lying this, lying that. The Jedi are nothing but a bunch of liars, and they would play up that whole from a certain point of view in a very negative light back then. And then the prequel trilogy came, and we learned, oh, Obi Wan's pretty, he's pretty pimpastic. Wow, look at Obi Wan, go, go, Obi, go, go, and suddenly you know there's none of that anymore but i i remember back in the day though just it was like letter after letter of them just ripping on obi-wan why he's a liar why he's been lying all this and that now he's holding back on luke and it's like man wow you know i so i gotta give the prequels props in that regard They really brought the perception from fans of obi-wan up from what it used to be
0: very true very true i guess we can close out this uh, this particular email uh, with one thing that if you haven't tried it, you probably should. Uh, best appearance of Obi Wan as a Force Ghost ever. Getting to fight him as Dark Side Star Killer in the Tatooine, the Force Unleashed one downloadable content. Fun, fun stuff. Getting to whoop butt on Ghost Obi Wan and kick him into the Millennium Falcon's engines uh, when he's the human to cause him to die in the first place. Or maybe that was whenever he was a maybe he was a ghost whenever they kicked him into the the engines though. How would How would engines disrupt a ghost? He got absorbed! It's a blue light! Stay away from the blue light, Obi! Stay away! Unless you want to sail. Um, Okay, (laughs) so uh, another email coming in. Our next email comes in from Andrew Halliday, who you might know uh, from his contributions, statistics, and whatnot to the EU Review, to EUCantina.net, and so forth. Uh, Andrew says, Hello, Nathan and Mark. I've been behind in episodes of Star Wars Beyond the Films, and so have been catching up these past few days. Hey, we're behind on our email. It's okay. I really liked your podcast about gender in Star Wars and wanted to add something to the discussion, something that you guys didn't touch upon. No one said that, despite the problems in gender slash sexism slash etc. in Star Wars and in the EU, it could be considerably worse. Lately, I've been reading old Marvel comics from the 1960s, the origins of our favorite heroes like Iron Man, Thor, Spider-Man, and the like. I buy the black and white essential books, which collect 20 to 40 issues from the Silver Age. I love these old stories, but they're really dated and show how women were treated in 1960s fiction and in real life back then. Female characters in these books are almost invariably damsels in distress, and even the heroic ones are pretty much useless. Take Jane Foster. In the new movie... She's an astrophysicist, but in the old books, she's a nurse working at the doctor's office that Thor's secret identity operates. Her only two roles are damsel in distress and love interest. Thor spends almost 50 issues pining for her, and when Odin finally gives permission for them to be together, she's too weak to accept the consequences of demigodness. Even female superheroes like the Wasp spend their whole time pining over their love interests. In the old Ant-Man slash Giant-Man stories and Tales to Astonish, you get scenes where Ant-Man says, I need to work on this new invention to help take down the human top. And Wasp can only say, All that time you spend in your lab, I wish you'd take me out to dinner once in a while, blue eyes. Sigh. And the way the male X-Men members treat Jean, Marvel Girl Gray, is as if the only thing she's good for is arm candy. Star Wars benefited from the fact that it came out in the late 70s rather than the early 60s like other sci-fi fantasy material. Marvel comics from the 70s have considerably stronger female characters, like Spider-Woman and Ms. Marvel, who are every bit as powerful as their male counterparts, and great villains like Mystique. So just imagine what Princess Leia might have been like if Star Wars was made 10 years earlier. She'd need rescuing because she's a damsel in distress. And that's what male heroes do. They rescue women in peril. You wouldn't get dialogue like, you fly that thing, you're braver than I thought. You'd instead get, gee, thanks for the rescue, green eyes. You sure know how to treat a gal right. In conclusion, it is important to consider how much worse they could have treated gender. Only 10 years earlier, women were treated terribly in science fiction. Leia being the strong character that she is, is indicative of how far we've progressed in such a short time. Great show, guys. Keep it up. Andrew.
1: Yeah, you know, that's a great, great point. Um, you know, my mom has always been really big on women's rights, women's advocacy, and empowerment of women and things like that. So, you know, I always hear from her point of views, you know, get a good, strong idea of, of where they're coming from. You know, I was raised, my dad was doing graveyards, so it was me, my mom, and my sister. So even though it was a half and half family, I spent more time with my mom and sister. So that was always something that was always, you know, something that she always talked about. Um, I would say for for why we probably skipped it is I know I would have left that for the girls to bring up. You know, I, it's not really one of the things that I stare at in the face every day like a female does. I mean, now I've got my two little girls and I am thinking about that more often and, and what that will look like. You know, I mean where is the line between empowering my my little girls with you know owning their body and and treating boys like they're toys and <laughs> you know there's so much stuff when it comes to raising a woman that you know I, I'm ill equipped. I I can only do the best I can. So when it comes to all that kind of stuff, it's like I, I just come from the aspect of keep my eyes open and uh you know listen to what's going on and kind of try to understand where the women are coming from. So I wouldn't have brought it up, but you're absolutely right. And, and the way you lay out the 60s and the 70s, I, I think your point is very sound. Uh, you know, I, I too read the old Marvel comics and stuff. And, and even the stuff they do now with these characters is, is so different. You know, you mentioned the Wasp. And I was thinking, you know, the Wasp that I remember is, is a newer Wasp from uh, the Mighty Avengers. And it's just so hard to see that character back then. You know, it, it's just one of those things that it's definitely one of
0: those era type things. Yeah, I'll agree. They they were making a huge stride compared to where they could have been at the time. Uh, I'm right there with Mark in terms of, of being more familiar with the newer incarnations of a lot of the superhero references. I read quite a few of the earlier ones back when they used to have these collected editions I could pick up at my library. But you know, for me, you know, the Marvel stuff right now it's more stuff that either I remember from the early '90s or it's stuff. Which is like the Spandex era, basically, uh, or the stuff that's happening in the Ultimate Universe that I went back and reread recently. But I will say, as much as that point is very well taken, that it could have been much worse 10 years earlier, I don't think my issue as much is with the way women were portrayed in the classic trilogy as later. In some of the later books, and in particular the way that Padme was handled, for instance, in the way that Revenge of the Sith was edited and cut together, it seems like there was a boomerang effect. That you start out with this movement towards something positive and Leia being a huge example of that. Very much like Ripley and the Aliens film, which is often the comparison that's made. But we get then into the 80s and into the 90s. We are now past the first decade of the 2000s or whatever we're calling it. We call them the aughts in some places. I don't know. I mean, it's 2012. Oh, no, world's coming to an end, but it's 2012. And you would think that the strides made... In some of those areas that we were talking about, whether we're talking about the diversity within the the, uh, characters, diversity within the authors, uh, the way certain characters are handled, uh, the way the sexuality is sometimes overdone, even with characters like Ahsoka in some cases, uh, or at least the the dress not quite looking like you would expect necessarily, um, I would think that that should have kept pace with the changes happening within society that have kept developing over time. And yet it seems like Star Wars got to a point where, to to an extent, it was backsliding a little bit compared to society outside. If it was the classics that were less strong on women and the prequels that were more, then I'd buy into that. But I think it maybe, maybe the first two prequel movies have a woman as a character, Padme, who's on par with Leia from the classic trilogy. But certainly not Revenge of the Sith. And certainly we weren't seeing the same, for the most part, seeing mainstream major Star Wars characters outside of the films in EU or other spinoffs, even Lucas spinoffs, that were as scantily clad in some cases as these days. And like, you didn't have Ala Sakura running around in the different Jedi costume. You didn't have a character like Ahsoka running around Uh, dressed with the boob window or the the mini-script midget or whatever you want to call it from the earlier parts when she was 14 years old. Um, You didn't have that kind of thing back then at the time. But granted, of course, the early EU is the era in which Luke barely ever looked like himself. He looked basically like He-Man or Fabio, especially in the last issue or two of of the Marvel series. So, you know, time makes a difference, but I still think, even though it could have been worse, it's not living up to what it should be in, in some respects. At least. At least, you know, my two cents on the subject. Of course, I'm not a woman, so, you know, as some would say, that I have no sense of what that issue should be at all anyway.
1: Yes, our next one is from Forrest Benzot. I probably said your name wrong, and I apologize for that. But we appreciate the feedback, nonetheless. I listen to your show every week, and I would like to know what you guys consider as your Star Wars canon. Or as, like, what we call it, personal canon. Most of the Star Wars novels I read, I consider my Star Wars canon. Despite the things the Clone Wars series did to this timeline, I still try to put books like The Cestus Deception by Steve Barnes and Shatterpoint by Matthew Stover into a decent place in the timeline. Books like the Children's Glove of Darth Vader series about Tricolossus, I do not consider canon. I would like to hear what you feel is part of your Star Wars canon and what is not. Since it's a lot of material, I'll just ask for some specifics, such as the Force Unleashed games and the books, the Star Wars virus duology, Death Troopers and Red Harvest, the Fate of the Jedi series. Do these examples fit well in your perspective of the Star Wars universe, or do you wish they were never even considered? If there are strong examples elsewhere in the novel timeline, I would love to hear them. Nathan, I understand you dislike the Dark Nest trilogy. Yes, Nathan, I really like the fact that you look at a lot of fiction from a strong storytelling standpoint as an author. I just recently got published in a recent magazine, and I'm a bit of an author myself, so I really enjoy listening to you, Forrest.
0: Wow. See, somebody likes the fact that I look at things from the author-style point of view. Uh, uh, take the time to check out our uh, our iTunes reviews from time to time. There are those who very much dislike that. Uh, I'm, I'm personally thinking of one – I had to go look it up again, but uh, a guy named – oh, shoot, now I forget the name. Something North. Because uh, I always think Nolan North, the guy that did the voice of Nathan Drake in the Uncharted games. But uh, there was somebody who specifically tore us up because of the connections to the writing thing. How dare you use your personal writing experience to talk about, you know, writing. <laughs> plug, um, plug, plug, <laughs> yeah, how, yeah, how dare you? Um, no, I, my my issue here is I can't – it's hard for me to actually answer this question. Because my canon is whatever is canon at the time. You know, if Lucas changes something – I'm enough of a realist and enough of sort of the, the the advocate of intellectual honesty to say you know what my opinion doesn't really matter all that much when it comes to what's canon whatever's canon is what it is. Um, that's why we did that episode on personal canon and such and and how that played out. Although I will, uh, kinda to, to jump off the end of that, e- that uh, message that email there about what we wish would never even have been considered if we're talking not about what's what we consider canon, but stuff that we wish wasn't, the stuff that we wish hadn't been made because we didn't feel like it was done well, then yeah, I would toss in something like uh, Dark Nest, at least to a degree, or maybe make it one book. I would probably toss in there, uh, or, uh, probably, <laughs> I would toss in there Allegiance and Choices of One, um, and Buyer's Market, the short story, a lot of the smaller short stories. I would toss in Tales from most not the anthology of short stories, the crappy comic with the weird Hegstail tail quasi-time travel thing. Mortis! Um, Mortis! Mortis! You know, right, Mor- uh, Mortis is hard for me now because I wish Mortis made more sense. If they explained Mortis a little bit better, I think that I would get it. I mean, if, if they didn't have the rules changing mid-game, like if if somehow the way that it worked when someone was killed with the dagger actually stayed consistent and the motivations of the sun stayed consistent from episodes one and two of that trilogy to the third one, then I would have no problem with it. Or if they could somehow explain it in a way that makes sense, I would have no problem with it. I now have trouble with the idea of excising that out of there, though, thanks to uh, Fate of the Jedi, because now it becomes an integral part of the EU yeah. in some form or another. Um and there are little ones from time to time, but I think that every story, for the most part, you know, it's someone's creative vision, it's someone's way of telling a story in the Star Wars universe. The fact that we're getting new stories at all uh, for a saga that's, what, 35 years old now, um, that's a big deal. So as much as I would have ones that I would say, oh, I wish it, like, I, I don't wish I didn't have to read it, I, I don't like the story, it's not a great story, I still don't think there's ones i necessarily say shouldn't have been published At all. They're just ones I wish had been done better. I mean, he brings up the example of the Trioculus books. I wish those had been done better. I wish actually that we had gotten three more. So we finally saw the Imperials interrupt the wedding. So there's not that clash of weddings and the clumsy retcon of, well, they didn't actually get married. Somebody interrupted it. And then they got married in courtship for Princess Leia. Um, (laughs) <laughs> that that was how I thought it too. I was like, okay,
1: obviously they all got in their ships. They all took off really fast, and obviously Han was thinking of only himself and left Leia standing at the altar, which made her really ticked off. Which really made it really hard to get her back into a wedding dress, standing at the end of the aisle, and say I do. When the other books came,
0: yeah, you know, I would go out on a limb. Yeah, she's not gonna sit around pining around like it's the sixties. Oh, see, see, see what I just did there? Tied it back. <laughs> what What do you say? Yeah. What do you, What would you drop out of continuity if you could?
1: I, I got to go with the dark side here. I'm the I'm the more uh, intellectually dishonest of the two of us. I mean, granted, I know the G-level canon that the Holocron touts is the canon. And yes, I understand that it shifts like quicksand and, and can – it doesn't work like canon and I have an issue with that. OK, that I guess is my my problem and I'll say that right out the gate. For me, it comes down to, you know, whatever I own is canon to a degree. If it fits into the story, that's my personal canon. I mean – yeah, some things get knocked out, but I, I it comes down to me you know, about what you've read and how you've read it and where you're at in your own head. Um, you know, Yeah, I, I think Nathan's got it closer in the aspect of what would you rather wasn't considered. For me, Mortis is one that, that throws a lot of weird things. Uh, the Force Unleashed, I, I, I'm i right there again with Nathan. There are things I wish they'd have done differently. There's, there's less things that I wish they didn't do at all but wish they would have done differently. Uh, Jason Solo's long-term fall to the dark side, the way that they derailed what I felt was a rogue Jedi order coming to be, turning into just another guy falling to the dark side, I, I didn't like that. But, you know, I take the good with the bad. I mean, I think that for if you're going to be a longtime EU fan, that is a skill. You have to be able to take the good with the bad. You need to be able to to look at a retcon as your way out. You know, you mentioned Death Troopers and Red Harvest. Some people complain about them having Han and Chewie in Death Troopers. To me, again, that's that's your way out. If you've ever read a zombie book, I've read three. Spoiler warning, everybody dies. That Everyone I've read, that's how it ends. Even when I thought, oh, this guy's finally going to get out. Last chapter, he goes up into the room where his son's at. Oh, his son's a zombie eats him. I mean, I was like, Wow. At least in that book, they gave you that out. You know, a lot of people, they didn't like that. But I was like, hey, you know, I've read enough zombie books to appreciate it for what it was. Uh, Red Harvest, I like that book. I, I, I think my problem with those two is that there isn't a book in between to kind of connect them better. I want to now know how Palpatine gets the virus, how he learns enough about it to to utilize it enough to make it what we see in Death Troopers. Um but yeah, when it comes to my timeline, I mean, it, it I read each story, and if something doesn't make sense, I would contact someone like Nathan. Hey, do you know anything about this? You know, find out whether or not you know it was some Lucas cause thing because he changed his mind down the road in the visionary process, and that's why it doesn't fit. And then I would come up with a you know crazy way of figuring it out. Uh, Galaxy of Fear, you know, that's a book series that I don't know if it really fits, but I consider it one. The glove of series that you were talking about, I don't consider all of it, but enough of it. Prophets of the Dark Side so made it out of that series, so I guess in a way I treat it kind of like Marvel comics. You know, I know that it's there, and I know that not everything actually makes it to sea level canon. See, I guess for me, I I live and breathe in the sea level era. That to me is is what is I consider canon. That's the story I like. I like more than just the G level canon. And when I'm using these levels now, I look at it in an aspect of it's all an in-universe tracking system anyway. And since George Lucas himself can't keep canon canon, Star Wars really doesn't have a canon, so pick and choose what you want. I mean, you know, acknowledge the, the fact that, you know, G-level canon is what they're going to say is canon right now, but you also got to be the realist and know that that could change any day now. That's just the nature of the beast.
0: Yeah, and you'll find, I think, on some of these that this is where Mark and I differ the most. A lot of times we agree on stuff, but I, I loved the fall of Jason and the way it played out. Legacy of the Force is my favorite Star Wars novel series from the standpoint of one of the long, pre-planned arcs. I mean, the X-Wing books are really good, for instance, but that's not one long pre-planned arc. It's sort of two different chunks of books and a couple of side ones thrown in there. But Legacy of the Force, my favorite of those longer series because of Jason's fall and the way that it was handled. Uh, The Force Unleashed, loved them, dug them like crazy. In fact, one of the things that I did recently was I picked up a, a signed or an autograph, what do you want to call it, photo of Sam Witwer to put with my different Star Wars signed stuff because I've really enjoyed his portrayal of Maul and and Starkiller and such. Um, I I guess we're closest on the Death Troopers Red Harvest thing. Uh, I wasn't a big fan of Death Troopers because of the whole let's bring in Han and Chewie, so there goes a lot of the suspense, but I really enjoyed Red Harvest. I mean, how can you not like zombie tauntauns going after Sith? That was just bizarre in a cool kind of way.
1: And the line from
0: Taken. I mean, that was awesome in and of itself. (laughs) And lastly, we have two pieces of feedback coming from Jeff Kenda. We're going to hit them both together and respond to them sort of as one whole here, but they were two separate pieces. First, good show as always. Agree and disagree on a lot of things, which always makes for a better show. I understand the frustration that comes with muddying the continuity, but at the same time, I do find that the EU has gotten pretty bloated. I think that you're right, Nathan. They don't really care about continuity, and they haven't for a while. Sure, they pay it lip service, and maybe they try to make it look like they're fitting stories into continuity if their licensing contract demands it. But Lucas themselves don't worry about continuity, as you've mentioned frequently, with the Clone Wars, so why should Dark Horse? Moreover, who's checking it? As you're fond of pointing out with Coruscant Nights, it doesn't look like there's any editors too worried about making Tab A fit into Slot A. If you're a newcomer to the series, there are now over a hundred Del Rey and Bantam books, countless comics, and a ton of video games. Where do you even come into that? Moreover, and I say this with love as someone who's been actively involved in the EU since Airs first printing, most of the stuff in the EU is pretty middling to poor quality. What happens if someone jumps in on the Bounty Hunter Wars trilogy because they've always loved Boba Fett? Oh, or- oh,
1: oh I'm sorry already. No, take it back. Take it back. <laughs>
0: Or, pardon me, uh, or a Han Solo fan who starts with the Corellian Trilogy. Uh, well, there's a lost EU reader in both cases. You could argue that there are a lot of podcasts or review sites out there to help the new reader, but most of those are very lenient when it comes to ranking the quality of these books, bordering on apologism. I'm not entirely sure if I said that right, so bordering on being apologists, we'll put it that way, for poor quality, at least in my experience and opinion. I think Dork, Dork Horse? Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Heck, yes. that's a flub to leave in the episode. Um, <clears throat> I think Dark Horse, yeah, that's the one, has been floundering ever since two of their best series, Legacy and KOTOR, came to an end, and they're just now starting to figure out how to recover. Dawn of the Jedi is okay so far, but I'm hoping it picks up. Knight Errant never really grabbed readers, myself included, though I did still buy it. Invasion was good, but inaccessible to readers who hadn't read any of the New Jedi Order. I do agree that the replacement titles are a bit baffling, but there's no doubt that Brian Wood is a fantastic writer on most everything else he's been on, and I'm really looking forward to his Star Wars work. And that was the first message. The second one, again, will hit them together. Also from Jeff Kenda. Great episode, as always. Had a few thoughts on some of the topics you brought up. I personally think the reason Clone Wars is being moved is twofold. I think the audience is flagging a bit, and they're looking to put something more successful in that Friday night time slot. And I think Detours, which looks to be aimed at a 6-12 to year old Saturday morning cartoon audience, is going to be replacing Clone Wars or will be aired back to back with the Clone Wars whenever it starts up. Basically, they're creating a Star Wars block of kids entertainment on Saturday mornings, like you see with the superhero blocks now. I think the back-to-back theatrical prequel release might be a money-saving option, distributing both at the same time or something like that, seeing as The Phantom Menace didn't exactly blow the lid off the box office. Or maybe they're handcuffing Attack of the Clones to Revenge of the Sith in hopes that excitement over Revenge of the Sith will get more butts into seats for Attack of the Clones. It'll be interesting to see what they do with the original trilogy. My guess is they'll break those up annually just because there's a bit more interest in seeing those again by general audiences. I don't have much to say about the Sword of the Jedi series, other than anyone who hates Golden wasn't paying attention to the fate of the Jedi series. Her contributions to that hot mess were probably the only salvageable parts of it. I'm really looking forward to her getting a complete trilogy all to herself. The return to the A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back time period, and the Big Three seems like a no-brainer to me. They sell, and they're interesting characters. More importantly, they interest people in the general audience outside of the hardcore Star Wars fandom. My honest opinion is that their sales are flagging a bit on prequel-related stuff and French stuff like The Old Republic and New Jedi Order eras, and they want to get back to what more people like, the original trilogy and the big three. If you sell to a niche audience, you'll make niche profits. If you sell to a bigger audience, you make more money. As for Invasion's satisfying conclusion, well, that's disappointing, but it must have been selling terribly for it to be pulled like that. That speaks again to a lack of interest in fringe stuff in the universe, in my opinion. I don't think it's because the writer is busy on other projects either. I just think it appealed to too small an audience. I think I'm seeing a theme here, he says. General audiences or something. You know, Jeff, you you nail a lot of
1: things that we were definitely uh, kind of pointing around, especially when it comes to the continuity aspect. It definitely has that feel. Uh, the Who's checking, you know, we always, we always hear about Leland. She is checking, but... I kind of since the Clone Wars came out, see Leland is less checking and more fixing. I mean, it seems like his job is not so proactive but more reactive now. Uh, and to me that doesn't seem like a winning philosophy. Um, but yeah, when you when you're talking about you know you jump in on on books like the Bounty Hunter Wars trilogy I that to this day is still my worst I cannot I, I read it. That's all I can say at this point. I forced myself to read it to say I read it. I tried five times, and it took the fifth one to get through it. Dude,
0: wait, wait. Okay, so maybe we're in the same boat. Do you remember, like, anything about that trilogy?
1: You know what I remember? I remember a weaving spider that made a a spaceship out of cobwebs, and I remember Boba Fett's ladder to his cockpit breaking off, and then in the next same scene, he climbs up the ladder and gets into the cockpit. And I'm like,
0: what? Man, I... I don't remember these well. When these came Spot, out, caught a I plot, would... that I mean, I remember little things like that. Yeah. Not much. I was so overloaded when these came out that I remember that I very much skimmed over it and was able to put the summaries together, but it was just like I was skimming just to get enough to put the summaries on the timeline uh, and take the quick notes as I went. I wasn't giving it the in-depth reading I usually do to one of these, you know, just kind of the pleasure reading with the notes beside me. It was sort of like almost like doing homework on these. Um, And I always thought that sort of colored my experience with it, but the more I hear about other people and their feelings on it, it seems like it's kind of broad dislike, and I keep saying that someday I'm gonna go back and reread them and give them the thorough read that they deserve. But every time I bring up the Bounty Hunter Wars trilogy, it's like, oh, it's like somebody passed gas, and it's everybody's like the walking special in the cloud. of all the books, man. I don't know. I just I, I want to go back and reread them at some point, but but I don't know. It's it scares me almost. I- that I'm very <laughs> worried that I'm gonna read them. I'm not even sure if if I'm worried that I'm going to read them and they're going to be as bad as people say, or if I'm going to read them and actually like them and have to admit that openly.
1: (laughs) Well, I will admit that the Weaver's storyline was somewhat interesting, especially when one of the little creations it made started thinking on its own and was trying to take it out. I mean, I remember that part was all right, but I I just remember thinking like, man, is this going to get good? Like. This this is the best Boba can give me? Really? I mean, come on. <laughs> but, you know, again, he goes on and he's talking about how, you know, review podcasts and stuff are, are bordering on apologism for poor quality. And I think, you know, in, in our, our last episode we were talking about the X-Wing books and how we look back on them fondly. And I think that that, that is probably what you're seeing is you're seeing these podcasters remembering the good things and, and they probably honestly have blocked the, the really bad junk of the books. Like I said, you got to take the good with the bad. And and for most of us out there, we live in a land called denial, and <laughs> we're going to deny the things that we absolutely hate to the point where we forget them. And that's probably what's happening. Oh, Callista, yeah, yeah, she was uh, she was an interesting character. Yeah, died in Fate of the Jedi, didn't she? I think so. I don't remember any other book with her in it, um, aside from the one that Karen Travis did recently. You know, one of those things, I, I really think that that's what you're getting is you get, you know, people forget about the negative or it was one of those situations where it was just so bad. That you can't help but forget about it or I mean, not forget it, but you can't help but focus on it. And and it's one of those that everybody just agrees. Oh, it was just loathsome. <laughs> but, you know, you mentioned about Dark Horse, uh, Legacy KOTOR. I, I have to agree 100 percent. Those series were nailing it dead on. Um, Night Errant. I, I really I, I I'm staying hopeful with Knight Erin. I really think that the arc that it's going to be ending on as of right now, I really think it's hitting its stride. I, I think the dark Kara Holt and, and her mercy persona is a very tempting place for her and a tempting role for her when it comes to falling to the dark side. She's in Sith space, surrounded by Sith, pretending to be a Sith lackey. What better recipe
0: to fall? And- I, and and they're meaning for her to be tempting because have you noticed that the artist on this one, and I, I I didn't mean to notice this, the artist on that story arc, puts way too much emphasis on Kara's chest,
1: always.
0: I you know it's I hadn't noticed that but I had drawing the character like like the character can have no detail to any other curvature on any other part of her body as she's running but those boobs they're there. I'm like really that that's the well, th- I can't. Between that and the clone troopers somehow showing up and the gunship yeah, somehow showing was, up, I'm looking at the artist like, really? What are you doing?
1: Yeah, the, the Lardy showing up kind of threw me off. Well, I, I will say this, though. On EUcast, we used to talk about how the first few arcs, it seemed to be her nose was the big feature. And I mean big feature. It was like every angle they could come at it was from a down angle, a side angle. But it was always of her nose, and her nose was always so much bigger than the rest of her face. Yeah. I actually say I like the art of Kara in this art. Maybe that's because they're alluring to the male side of me subconsciously, and that's why I don't know. But I have liked the cover I
0: arts. I don't think they're doing it as, a, as an alluring way. It's not so much that he's doing it in an alluring style. It's just kind of he's overemphasizing with the, the line choices, I guess, is what got me. But I don't know. I just – I. The, the whole thing with Kara as a character I, I I agree with what you said about the nose thing It seemed like to begin with they didn't really want they didn't have a set idea of what they wanted Kara to look like so it seemed like her face was constantly shifting around uh you said that about that I just imagine uh lady was it Calamandra, I think was was the name of the character in the the, the like the grandmother character of all these other Sith and whatnot I can imagine oh, her yeah holding Kara hostage uh, to the Jedi Order, waiting for the Jedi Order to uh, to give the, the secret combination to get into the Jedi Archives, which is going to be one, two, three, four, five, when an idiot puts on his luggage, or else they give her back her old nose.
1: Bull <laughs> a Rachel and Friends. <laughs> uh, well, you know, you mentioned the fact that Invasion isn't that accessible to readers, and... It's not. I... I, I I want to disagree, but I can't. I mean, we, we all know that you do have to kind of have an idea of what's going on to jump into it. But I will say, though, that for the characters themselves, you don't need to. I mean, Finn's story, I, I don't see it having anything to do with the New Jedi Order, aside from the use and Vong and what they're there for. And so, I mean, I that I think for me, that's the most disappointing thing is that they could say that it was a, a satisfying conclusion when the heart of the story was never told. And that for me, I mean, yeah, I do agree that, yeah, it, it wasn't as inaccessible or accessible or however, however I'm supposed to be wording it. I can't think it's at this moment. I'm thirsty. It's hot in my garage. But – I was upset to find out that that was the reason why they canceled it. You know, if they want to say, yeah, we'll get back to it later right now. It just didn't fit on the schedule. That was one thing. But they come of, across, of, well, we had a lot of projects and we just couldn't fit that one in. It's like, how can you not fit one in that you're already working on? That should have been one, two, three, four. One of those first four. They're, you're working on it. They should already be on the freaking list. That's my issue with that.
0: And and was it because there was just no room, or was it because it reached a satisfying ending? You know, or were you yeah. were you against it before you were for it, or for it before you were against it, or you know whatever this pol- particular political season is calling for? Sorry, I just watched John Kerry's rather. You know, I I watched both political conventions. I'm an independent and kind of pretty down on both sides of the spectrum. Uh, but John Kerry gave a speech that was that was part scathing attack on uh the other side of the aisle, but at the same time it was almost like a stand up comedy routine and he he joked her on his own Uh, for it before he was against it thing i mean is that is that what we were we were for invasion before being against it was it that it was actually a satisfying conclusion but then we couldn't find time on the schedule to make it go further we couldn't find time on the schedule so we said oh we're gonna pull out some bs about it being a satisfying conclusion i'm thinking the latter
1: yeah and you know you mentioned stuff about the clone wars moving the detours this whole block, you know, and I, I've actually heard that I was just listening to some of the coverage from the Star Wars report, the episode I wasn't on of their coverage. And Steve Glosson was talking about that. And I actually think he had a good point about how that they were trying to make that. You know, you, you're talking Cartoon Network. They play cartoons 24-7. I, what's Saturday morning cartoons on a, on a station that plays cartoons 24-7? Now you put a power hour on there like what we're going to have with the clone wars and detours, if that's what they are doing. And you will have Saturday morning cartoons again on cartoon network. Every adult out there currently watching the clone wars is definitely going to be trying to tune in if they can, if those of us are putting on alarms and hoping they get out of bed and all that. Um, and you know what you have to say about the attack of the clones. I, I gotta admit, you know, that does make the most sense. Uh, a lot less spreading it out as well. Uh, and you mentioned Golden. I I went back and I was looking at the Golden books, and I have to admit, you know, yeah, I was leery only in the aspect of the EU characters, but I really did enjoy her books. I really liked what they did for the series, and I liked the directions that each one of them took. So, I'm actually very excited about this book. It's something that'll be really cool.
0: Yeah, from the specific standpoint, honestly, of a lot of the stuff that Jeff said, I think I pretty much can agree with pretty much all of it, I mean, I think it's it's critique of the different comic series at the moment, where they're going with it, why they're going to the general audiences, why they would release the films back to back. I think it's pretty spot on with a lot of this stuff. So uh, not a lot really to add beyond that, other than to say that, yeah, I think that that puts things again sort of in a a perspective of business. And we got to remember that these folks are, of course, a business. Unfortunately, uh, sometimes the business decisions being made aren't necessarily the things that we as the the audience for their creative materials would necessarily want to see, but now that's that's any franchise. And speaking of any franchise, because we are getting to the, the the end of our time here for one episode, I would want to point out that we did actually have a call out at one point saying send us your questions that aren't dealing with Star Wars for the next feedback episode we got a few I'm not sure we got enough to actually fill up a whole episode that's why we sort of held on to those we're going to try to address those in the future Uh, one of those being you know what our favorite franchise is or what franchise we follow outside of Star Wars but we will be coming back to that it's not that we're ignoring it it's just that we want to get a little bit more of that type of feedback to have it be a full size show instead of just being a few things that we talk about and having a miniature episode for you we want to give you a a full episode worth of content so, you know, keep popping out those non-Star Wars questions to us on the Facebook page or through email and we will find a way to get them into a feedback episode. It just didn't happen to be this one.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And remember, you can find our show at www.starwarsreport.com as well as on our Facebook page, iTunes, Zune, and airing on Middle Earth Network Radio. If you liked our show, be sure to drop us a review on iTunes or the Zune Marketplace. We love reviews. You can also fire us off an email. You can email us at SW Beyond films at Star Wars and be sure to interact with us on Facebook and Twitter at SW Beyond films. So once again this has been Whistler and Mark
0: and Nathan now a little bit deaf from listening to Whistler
1: I know he's so long-winded today
0: <laughs> and loud
1: <laughs> and thanks for listening everyone and once again may the fools be with you
0: and don't quote us the odds that will you know, have enough feedback for another feedback episode next month, or perhaps the month after.
1: Odds are, you'll love us. <coughs> yeah, or hate us. It's a 50-50, Whistler. Come on, you pessimistic little droid.
0: God, he's so loud!